Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into the Heartland After Dark podcast. It's been a minute. It's been a minute since you've heard our voice and vice versa. And we are excited to be back with you talking about the Big 12. We had some incredible football here with some great games, some of the best games we've seen this season. And I am so excited to talk about them today. Derek, first of all, let me say what's up, man. How are you doing? Because it is good to be back here with you. I'm doing pretty good, man. It's just a lot of football action, a lot going on right now. Uh, Weather's cooling down. Here we are, mid-November almost, and the Big 12 title race is just, you know, still heating up, and we still don't know who's going to go to Arlington just yet. You absolutely said it, and I'm sure we'll talk about that more here going forward, but I'm going to let you guys know right now, I've been traveling, I've been moving around a little bit here lately, so I'm just rocking a nice cold bush light tonight. Didn't want to go too crazy, didn't want to go too over or under, so I went with what's consistent. Derek, what are you rocking tonight? I've got a little Knob Creek, just the nine-year one, just uh, just the regular. Starting to cool down here a bit in South Texas, man. So I decided to break out the bourbon as always, and uh, you know I had beer uh, on Friday night, so I decided to switch things up tonight on Sunday here. At a boy, well, I tell you what, you mentioned Texas. Let's start there. Let's talk about some Texas teams here in the Big Twelve. Talking about the matchup between Texas and TCU, one of the better games of the weekend. Derek, what'd you take away from this contest? Man, Texas got lucky. Uh, they, you know, they. It seems like every time they play another Texas team, they kind of escape with the, uh, you know, by the. I guess I don't know what you'd want to say, but they barely escape. You know, just like in the Houston game a couple weeks ago, they you know, was a second half comeback by Houston. You almost saw that here against TCU and Fort Worth. I don't know what it is about some of these Texas teams that they play, but anyways, the, Texas for me. Great first half. We've seen that a lot this season where they get off to these hot starts. And much kind of like some of the other teams in college football, you look at a team like Georgia, they always get off to these slow starts or maybe they have a hot second half. But Texas is kind of the reverse of that because it seems like they always start really fast. They get up to a big lead and then they start kind of easing off that that gas pedal. And it's kind of funny because Steve Sarkeesian's thing is all gas, no brakes. Well, I feel like in the second half, they don't use any gas and it's all, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's completely opposite of what they're saying, but I guess uh, Texas had a 20 point lead in this game in the first half. Quinn Ewers looked excellent. Jonathan Brooks was great. You had Xavier worthy a Donnie Mitchell catching touchdown passes. It just seemed like everything was clicking for the Longhorns defensively. They did an excellent job shutting down TCU. And I don't know what, what happened in the second half. I mentioned they you know, they had some slow, slow starts in the second half, but that, that happened again on Saturday night, man. And they almost got beaten and almost cost them because for whatever reason, the defense started collapsing. They couldn't get late stops. And offensively, they did next to nothing. I mean, Texas scores three points after putting up 26 in the first half. TCU ended up scoring 20 points in the fourth quarter alone. I mean, just not really sure what's going on with that, but that's something that needs to be addressed with Texas because at some point it's going to cost them. Luckily, it, ha- it, it only cost them once against Oklahoma, but you can make a case for this Texas team to have a couple more losses in that column for him. So for me, that that was really big for them. And I want to say another thing for Texas, a really unfortunate situation that uh, he had Jonathan Brooks go down with an injury. We found out today that it is an ACL tear. So he's going to be out for the rest of the season. Uh, boy, that is a, I don't know if you can really put into words how big of a loss that is for Texas, because he's been a big part of what they do offensively. And, and the guy's got over 1300 yards on the ground. So it's not like it's just any, any back that went down. He is, He's not just one of the best backs in the Big 12. He's one of the best backs in the entire country. So that was a huge loss for Texas. I mean, as for TCU, there's not a whole lot for me to say. I thought Josh Hoover got off to a really slow start, had a couple bad turnovers early in that game that kind of were costly. But 
for TCU, it was a nice it was a nice comeback there in the fourth quarter. I'd just like to see it for more uh, throughout the game. But I think my overall takeaway of this game is that Texas, you know, they hung on, and that's really all you can do at this point now with two games left in the season. Yeah, I mean, you said it. I mean, jumping in immediately, losing Jonathan Brooks is massive. I mean, there were five dudes in the country with more rushing yards than Jonathan Brooks at the conclusion of this week. And there's a reason for that. I mean, the dude has shredded everybody. I know that Ollie Gordon kind of gets the majority of the talk, as he should with the, you know, the Heisman potential stuff that was going on for the, the last six weeks. We'll talk about Oklahoma State here in a second. But Jonathan Brooks is every bit as good of a player that Texas has had in that backfield. And in a couple of years, obviously, Bijan being the main takeaway. Jonathan Brooks, they didn't lose a ton of production with the guy. And that's crazy to think about after a guy like Bijan leaves and Roshan Johnson goes. This rushing attack has been lethal, but shifting a little bit more to C.J. Baxter as a true freshman, and obviously you know he's a top, you know, he's a five-star guy, he's a top 100 player for sure, top 50 player in the nation. There's going to be an adjustment period regardless, even though he's seen the field this season. So is he ready for the bulk of that? Will we see some more of different guys on this team or not? I'm not sure, but that is an adjustment. And I think talking about the fourth quarter thing, I mean, it's crazy. You've seen it now for two straight weeks and even multiple times this season. Kansas State about rallying back and winning that game in overtime. Then you see TCU do something similar, get the game within three. Texas can't do this. I, I can't. I don't want to be the guy that says they're just going to keep getting away with this or can't keep getting away with this because they have, to their credit, you know, outside of Oklahoma. There's going to be good enough teams down the stretch that Texas will face, whether it be a Big 12 championship game or a college football playoff, if they can keep winning. There's going to be more to talk about in that sense. So the fourth quarter woes definitely continued. For TCU, you said it. I mean, Josh Hoover, he looks like a talented freshman kid or a talented young quarterback that is figuring things out. I mean, I know there's a lot of teams in the country right now that if you can get a guy that has you know 12 incompletions on the day, two touchdowns and 300 yards, you'd be happy with that regardless of what you're doing. So good to see uh, Savion Williams go out there and dominate. So that's kind of a big takeaway. I would love to see some more consistency, but with the injuries they've already faced with and some of the play calling, I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna break the bank over TCU right now. I think they're. That was a good outing for them, even if you're not a moral victory guy. It was something to keep in mind. But moving on, I talked about Oklahoma State here a second ago with Ollie Gordon, Derek. I don't even know how to tee this up for you. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna let you have the floor for OSU and UCF because that was one of the most interesting games I've watched in a long time. Man, I, I certainly did not see that coming. And if you know, I guess I'll say this: if there was a such thing as a hangover in a game that was definitely at broke Oklahoma state. I mean, they looked exhausted. Like it was like bedlam that bedlam game last week took every ounce they had out of them because Oklahoma state looked lifeless. And that's the only way I could really describe their performance in this game. But, you know, I got to tip my hat to UCF, man. It was home. I think it was, I don't know if it was homecoming for them, but it was the space U game where they broke out the sweet blue jerseys and, everybody was really into it. So that was pretty cool scene there in Orlando. The stadium was sold out, of course. So, man, this was a huge win for UCF. They absolutely dominated from start to finish. I mean, defensively, they did an excellent job shutting down Heisman hopeful Ollie Gordon, and they kept him out of the end zone entirely. So that was really good for them. I had somebody in, uh, I think my mailbag, or it might have been fact or fiction, questions asked me if Ollie Gordon was going to break the 300 yard mark and he'd even get to 50 yards in this game man because UCF defense was just all over him and he had that early fumble and I think that was kind of telling in this game of what where this thing was going to go because Oklahoma State kind of had two uh, really sloppy turnovers early on and it cost them both times because uh, UCF went down and scored so for me that was big uh, offensively for UCF I thought they did an outstanding job on the ground they got, got almost 300 yards on the ground 
RJ Harvey went for uh, 206 yards and three scores in his 92 yard touchdown in the third quarter is actually the second longest in school history. I felt like that really broke the game open for them and they never looked back. And it was kind of interesting for me to see UCF's offense because most of the time we talk about John Reese Plumley and, and the things he's able to do. It was really nice to see when, you know, he didn't have to do a whole lot in this game. He was just able to hand the ball off and, you know, again, credit to UCF. They were physical up front. I thought they really dominated up front. And so that's not something you normally see from them, which was really, uh, really fun to see. As for Oklahoma State, man, again, that that Bedlam hangover, I'm not going to harp on it too much, but I can't remember the last time uh, a top 15. And in fact, I think that the stats showed on the on the broadcast that it's been like since 1997 where a top 15 team in the country lost by 40 points or more against an unranked opponent. So uh, it's just one of those freak games, man, Joe, I don't know. I don't don't know how else I could really put it, but it was just a hangover for them. I didn't think offensively they weren't good. Alan Bowman wasn't his best. Ali Gordon didn't have it. The offensive line was beat up. I mean, just so many, everything that could have went wrong in that game for Oklahoma state did. And then the rain, it was raining the entire time. And something I found, found out that was pretty interesting that like Oklahoma state, like didn't pack any rain gear. You know, and that's just like that, that going to Florida. If you don't know anything about Florida, you should know that it rains at least there once a day. And it rained. It not only rained, it poured for almost four quarters. And I don't know. Oklahoma State just was outcoached, unprepared, and they got outplayed. That's that's really all I could say about that. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of like this felt like the game. And I don't want to put this on Oklahoma State and say there's some bad team that we were waiting for this to happen. But for Alan Bowman, this type of game is possible. I mean, he hasn't been incredible this season despite winning some of the big games they have but he's done okay he's done enough to get the wins but when you have a guy like ollie gordon rushing for 250 yards that's kind of what takes the cake the adjustment from 250 to 25 is massive and it's not just an ollie gordon thing i know he's kind of banged up in this game but this is the big 12's worst rushing defense in ucf and they did the best job of anybody in the country this season of stopping ollie gordon barring those first you know week or two where he wasn't getting any carries it's just crazy to see the adjustment but on the Oklahoma State side, I mean, this is this is one of the worst losses I can remember in Big 12 football. Not, not necessarily in all of Big 12 football history, but in recent history, based off of what we knew coming into the game. And for whatever reason, Vegas knew something along those lines. They had Oklahoma State listed as a two-and-a-half point favorite, where I thought it should be more like a touchdown favorite. Obviously, in this game, you win by 42. That does not matter. Crazy day for Oklahoma State. Just a tough loss. And now they have a game in Cincinnati, which is still a get-right game, but you are going to face them off of their first win. We'll talk about that a little bit later on. But UCF, I mean, I've been kind of talking about R.J. Harvey a little bit quietly. Obviously, that's easy to say now. Once you rush for 200 yards, it's, it's easy to be like, ha-ha, I knew it, because it's not that situation. But he's had some pop this season. He's had some big runs this season. And then you pair that with John Reese Plumley taking care of the football. Only needed 11 throws to go for almost 300 yards and three scores. Good day out of UCF. This is a good win for them. A statement win, and their fans deserved it. I mean, for better or worse, they deserved it. Super excited to see them at the game. Obviously, 42-point blowout. You're going to stand in the stands if you're a UCF fan, but good to see that happen and the crowd get back out there. But jumping to the other Oklahoma team, Oklahoma and West Virginia in a game that I thought would be much closer than it was. Oklahoma handled business. Derek, what did you think about this game? Uh, Joe, did you see West Virginia get off the plane? Because I don't think I saw that. I, I don't think they ever got off the plane in Norman. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, again, much like the Oklahoma State UCF game, this score is a little bit better, I guess, than that one, but the it, it was still a blowout, man. This game was never close. I mean, 
What can you say about Dylan Gabriel? Eight total touchdowns on the day, five passing, three rushing. Broke the school record for most touchdowns in a single game. And, and, you know, this is a Oklahoma program that's in you know, on the past seven or eight years had the likes of Kyler Murray, uh, Jalen Hurts, and Baker Mayfield. Two of those guys won Heisman's, by the way. And what Dylan Gabriel did on Saturday was one of the probably the best performances I've ever seen uh, a college football player have. So kudos to him. I thought Gavin Sawchuck really emerged himself as the number one back for the Sooners. And if you're an Oklahoma fan, I think it's kind of got to be frustrating here because you watch your team, your offense, specifically your offense, do this against a respectable West Virginia defense. Where where was this a couple weeks ago? Where was this the last two weeks? Because this is not the same offense we've seen uh, against Kansas or against Oklahoma State. So if you're an Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma fan, excuse me, you have to be kind of frustrated with that. But you know, at the same time, I guess you would be happy with the win because they absolutely dominated West Virginia. As for the Mountaineers, man, this was this was just a really bad script for them because this is not who they are. They're not a comeback from behind team. They are a team that has to control the game on the ground and play good defense, and that did not happen early on. So they were thrown completely off balance from the get-go. Uh, Garrett Green and Nico Marischal struggled. You know, the run game for West Virginia, that wasn't going to really do anything for them because they were just so far behind. I mean, this game was 31-7 to at halftime. I mean, you could say, honestly, in the middle of the second quarter, this one was pretty much over already. So just a really bad loss for West Virginia. As for Oklahoma, you know, this was a, a statement win for them, I felt like. Maybe this is where things kind of get back on track for them to try to get back in the Big 12 title race. Now, I'm not always one to say how good a team is or how good is a team isn't based on what they've done all the time. But, man, when a get-right game is still a solid team like West Virginia, that's a pretty good day. I mean, for Oklahoma, you're coming off tough performances the last couple of weeks, and things have been definitely looking different than they were when you started off so hot, beating Texas, beating a couple of good teams in the process. When you have a good right game against a team that's tied for, I think, third place at the time or second place, wherever West Virginia slipped into that conversation, that's a good game. I mean, you beat them by 39 points in this outing. And West Virginia, like you said it, this wasn't West Virginia that showed up. I mean, this team is not capable of playing from behind. I mean, if they are, it has to be a 10-point game max. You know, they're a methodical team. They take care of the game. They control the game. And when that doesn't happen, it just doesn't work out. So, I don't know if this is something that you really want to overreact to if you're West Virginia. I mean, I know it's not easy when you're losing by 39 to a team, but it is Oklahoma. Oklahoma looked like the better team in this game. Dylan Gabriel, absolutely the man. Drake Stoops deserves some love for this game as well, uh, especially a guy that just kind of had you know a lot of people and opposing fan bases go after him over the couple of years for the whole coach's son narrative, which just continues to baffle me because the guy goes 10 catches for a buck 64 and three scores. Great day out of him, but... I mean, OU was the better team. They played like the better team, and there wasn't anything else that was going to change that in this game. For West Virginia, I don't know if this is something you take away and say, well, Neil Brown, blah, blah, blah. I'm not too worried about that right now. It's just an unfortunate day. Garrett Green wasn't great. The rushing attack wasn't great. Nothing seemed to really work out well. So that's kind of one of the many games we had this week that were closer to the blowout scale. There were some things to go away from different teams. But talking about another team that that ended up on a similar scoreboard here, Kansas State absolutely you know, drenched Baylor on the scoreboard early. I mean, we, you, I think I saw one of your tweets and it felt like you blinked and the game was already a four score game. It's crazy to see how this outcome gate out, outcome came down the stretch, but Kansas state taking on Baylor in Manhattan after that tough game against Texas. Derek, what'd you take away from this game? You're well, you're right, Joe. I felt like I did blink. <laughs> it was 21 to seven 
already, man, I, I, I skipped like five minutes of this game and, and Kansas State was already up big. But, you know, once I kind of got focused on that game, it was really uh, fun to watch, I guess, if you're a Kansas State fan. Will Howard was excellent through three touchdown passes. Ended up setting the school record for touchdown passes as well, which was pretty cool when you think about some of the quarterbacks they've had there in Manhattan. I thought the offense moved the ball well. The defense did an excellent job. And it's not too often where you see a defense score two touchdowns. But I guess if you have to do it, it would be against Baylor or a team like Houston or Cincinnati. But we'll leave that for another time. But for Kansas State, this was a win I expected. Uh, the score kind of surprised me, I guess. But honestly, it, it wouldn't have surprised me with the way things were going in that game if, can if Kansas State State would have won like 60 to zero because that's kind of what it felt like for them. Um, so that was a really good state. You know, much like Oklahoma, that was a good state to win, something that needed to happen uh, for Kansas State. As for as for Baylor, man, I thought just an awful, awful performance for them. I, I don't know. It feels like every week we come in here and we talk about Baylor and, and their struggles, and that just kind of continues once again. Dave Aranda now 2-8 and eight in his last big, uh, 10 Big 12 games. Just really, really unfortunate for this Baylor team. Uh, they have nothing to play for right now. They're already out of bowl contention now with a seventh loss in the year. And, and forget about this game. There needs to be some serious conversation about Dave Aranda's future in Waco right now. Yeah, I mean, I keep looking at it. This is just that I don't want to ever call for somebody's job off the rip, but boy, Dave Aranda is pushing that narrative. I mean, it's not anything that like, like he's a good dude. It seems like he's sem somewhat capable, but if nothing else, you win a Big 12 title, that's worth something. The only issue is the entire next two years, the next year and a half, like it's been non-existent, the level of play you've seen. I saw a tweet this week that I, I kind of blanked on because it was so strange to think about in my head. The matchup between Kansas State and Baylor, that was the that was the matchup of the two past Big 12 champions, and it was painfully obvious to everyone who the better team was. I mean, when you have the matchup of the previous two champions as a 20-plus point spread, that's kind of a crazy fall off in two years. Dave Aranda, I mean, you look at Baylor, you said it. They don't really have anything to play for. I mean, in post game, he mentioned that this feels like rock bottom, and I can't dispute that. I mean, it's definitely not going to feel any better if they lose the next two games, but I don't know what you do. I think, you, you know, if you're going to have conversations about any coach in this league, um, you know, or any team in this league needing to change, Baylor's probably the first one you look at right now. And I know it started off with a Neil Brown, it started off with, you know, a loose Dana Holgerson conversation, but, but, Dave Aranda just continues to struggle and the, the body language isn't there from his players. The energy isn't there from the players. It wasn't something that you want to be behind. You know, there's teams like Houston Joe, where. Mm -hmm. Joe, let me ask you this for, for Baylor, just talking about Dave Aranda and his future there. Do you think he's the right, honestly, right now at this very moment, do you think he's the right man to turn this thing around for them? Because you look at what Baylor had last year, they had high expectations last year. They finished the season. Uh, with a six and six record, lose to Air Force in that ugly bowl game, and now they're going to sit here with seven losses already on the year. They're not going to go to a bowl game. Um, you know what? How how much longer? I guess is his leash there in Waco. And for me, you know, the other thing is, is he the right guy? Because you you mentioned the body language. Is he the guy that's going to turn this thing around? Do you have confidence in him right now? Man, I mean, do I have confidence confidence in him to turn it around? I really do not. You know, I got to tell you. Even the coaches, there are coaches in the league that could be in that conversation of, okay, I might not have my job in, you know, two weeks, three weeks. I might have to be reevaluated at the end of the season. Not that anybody goes into it thinking that, but there's teams that are underwhelming in league play that are still playing with everybody on the sideline locked in, ready to go. 
Houston's a good example of this. Even though their fans haven't been the you know the most present in the stadium, the team has shown up every week in its own way. Even when they're getting beat, the team is still rallying. You know, you get a win over Baylor last week, and you see the energy, you see the, the sidelines, everybody locked in. With Baylor, you don't feel that. You don't feel that. And if it wasn't apparent enough, like I don't know what Dave Aranda could do to turn this around at this point. Just based on the collapse where they're at, I don't know if it's something that, you know, for the last two weeks of the season, you fire him, promote an internal, you know, whatever. I don't know if you have an interim head coach, but it's crazy to me because I don't think that this is the right dude to lead this team in the future. You know, you're not heading in the right direction. I don't know who the right guy would be. I know there's people you can make calls to. Um, there's been fire, you know, a couple of firings already today. You saw Jimbo Fisher get fired at Texas A&M. Not that I'm putting that narrative out there to bring him to Baylor, but um, it is pretty crazy to see the big names that are getting fired when you think about, you know, two and eight in your last 10 games of Big 12 play should never be the narrative of a former champion that's, you know, less than a year and a half removed, barring something crazy. But Dave Aranda, I don't know. I think uh, I'll sum it up with this real quick. At Big 12 Media Days, he talked about revamping his approach to the game. Focusing more on the people and less on the players. Last year was more about the players. If that's true and you did a whole different thing, this is the exact same result. We haven't seen anything change whatsoever. If you're recruiting people, the people haven't reflected it. If you're recruiting players, the players haven't reflected it. I don't know that if, if I'm the Baylor AD, I don't think I stay with Aranda after this season because something has to change. And I just don't know who you point fingers at. For Kansas State, I would say this. I mean, it's a this is a game you expect to win. But man, what a day for Will Howard. I mean, that's got to feel good too, dealing with some of the back and forth with Avery Johnson. And then even in previous seasons, you had that with a guy like Adrian Martinez where he's had to wait and has quietly become one of the better quarterbacks in the Big 12. It's kind of crazy to see the path that he's taken through this point. But Kansas State, I mean, DJ Giddens had an effective day, but how about two, two defensive touchdowns? I mean, that's a great thing. You get a blocked punt, you get a couple of big plays there. Um, everyone really competed in this game. Everyone really contributed in their own way. I think anytime you put up 60, that's a good day, but I'm not going to, you know, I don't know if this tells me a ton about the future of this team based off this performance because of the level of competition, but I will say that it was a great day for Will Howard, great day for Chris Kleiman and a good bounce back win. Whereas you could have seen something similar to a, to a UCF OSU performance where it's slow and lackluster. Then you get surprised, not saying that it'd be 45 to three, but that's kind of something that fans had thought about coming into this game. Moving on to a closer game, one that went down to the wire here, unfortunately due some, to some bad injuries and a couple of different play call stuff. Texas Tech, Kansas. Derek, what'd you take away from this game? You know, I think the for me, my takeaway is Texas Tech's final drive in this game um, from their perspective because I thought for, for most of that game, they didn't do a whole lot offensively. I thought their defense actually played outstanding uh, for four quarters. Luckily for them, uh, that last drive uh, was really magical and and – Kudos to Joey McGuire because, you know, in the broadcast, uh, Kansas uh, was trying to win the game late in the fourth quarter. We, you know, I think it was like under 30 seconds left. And Joe McGuire was using those timeouts specifically to save some t- put save some time on the clock for his offense to have a chance. And that just shows the confidence he has in a guy like Baron Morton. And it worked, man, because Morton, it just took three plays for Texas Tech to go down and get in field goal range. They got all the way down to the Kansas 12-yard line. It only took him less than 26 seconds to do it. And then Gino Garcia drills the 30-yarder to give Tech the win. So, for me, that was obviously big for Texas Tech. You know, offensively, like I mentioned earlier, I don't think they did a whole lot in this game. They did just enough to win. But I really want to kind of focus on their defense because I thought they did an outstanding job. Uh, And it was obviously a big win for Texas Tech. You know, as for Kansas, 
I don't think this was a bad loss by any means because if you look at what happened in this game, I, I kind of do feel bad for him a little bit, so I don't want to be too harsh on him. Uh, Jason Bean obviously went down with an injury, and you're already without Jalen Daniels, and now Jason Bean goes down to injury. They're now on their third-string quarterback who's a true freshman, uh, Cole Ballard. And, and look, I, I'm sure he's a great, great guy and all, but I don't think he played extremely well, but – I thought he actually kind of showed some flashes there, kind of more towards the end of the game as he got the game went on. I felt like he got more comfortable because in the fourth fourth quarter, that offense really got going. They were able to tie the game late uh, with about 30 seconds left. Unfortunately, uh, as I mentioned earlier, just left a little bit too much time on the clock for Texas Tech. So for me, that was kind of my takeaway. I thought Kansas showed some fight in this game despite Jason Bean's injury. And, you know, Kansas, yes, they're going to go to a bowl game. I thought they maybe had a chance to get in this Big 12 title race. Obviously, with this loss now, they're kind of outside, on the outside looking in here. But, you know, this to me, this this season has been really fascinating for Kansas. For one, the whole Jalen Daniels situation, I think we all find fascinating. We still don't know his status because now if Jason Bean's gone for an extended period of time, does that mean Jalen Daniels is going to come back or is he still going to sit on the sidelines? I have no idea because – if Cole Ballard's their quarterback moving forward, I don't see really Kansas probably uh, winning one of their last two games. Yeah, I mean, you're right. Especially, like, you've seen a couple of true freshmen take the field this season and have had some moments that are solid, have had some scary, shaky moments as well. But, man, Kansas could not afford to lose another quarterback, and they they did. They did. I don't know what the long-term you know status is on Jason Bean. They talked about it being a head injury, even though it kind of looked something lower body Related at the time, it did end up flipping to be something head-related. Um, I don't know what that outcome looks like because it's just – obviously with that game, you know, Jason Bean started the team's down 10-0. Texas Tech was ready to roll early. I mean, that was the first thing you saw. Is you saw Texas Tech ready to go. And I'll say this for Texas Tech. Thank God they gave Taj Brooks the football an adequate amount of times. 33 carries, 133 yards, and a score. Controlled the game. I know there's only 16 points scored offensively for Texas Tech, but – they did what they needed to do, and Taj Brooks showed up. <clears throat> On the Kansas side of things, <clears throat> you know, you had really the best takeaway in my mind where it's this team had a chance to slip into that Big 12 conversation, that Big 12 championship game conversation. Obviously, it's not eliminated now. I can't tell you how the tiebreakers work and what's going to happen down the stretch, but that was kind of a tough one for Kansas to lose. I mean, it's not that they weren't ready for the moment, whatever the case is, but Leipold kind of mentioned this process of, the team wanted to skip a little bit from point A to point D rather than going point A to B to C to the D. I don't know if I buy into all that, but Kansas has an opportunity still for a great season. Whether that be, you know, you play Kansas State. I forget who they play in the last game of the season off the top of my head. Let me check it. You play Kansas State and Cincinnati. Both of those are winnable games. I know that the Kansas State game is going to be tough if the quarterback is Cole Ballard for that, but Kansas has an opportunity to win a game or two here down the stretch and have a really solid season. Overall, the injury status has sucked, and I don't – well, I'm sure we'll talk about this later when we talk about the Sunflower Showdown, but the Jalen Daniels thing still confuses me, and we'll talk about it here later in the episode just as a quick teaser for that. But let's move on to the next game here, Iowa State-BYU, the late game. This game kicked off absolutely, you know, 3 a.m. it felt like. It was a late <laughs> one for sure. Derek, what do you think about Iowa State taking down BYU? Man, another another dominating performance uh, in this one. Iowa State absolutely pounded BYU from the get go. Man, it was it was almost like the Kansas State Baylor game. You know, you kind of just blinked, and, and Iowa State was already up by two possessions because BYU 
you know, they had one offensive play and two turnovers. That's not something that's not a stat you see very often uh, on a box score, but that's exactly what happened with an interception and a kickoff uh, fumble. So Iowa State took advantage early and then they used the run game to really pound a BYU's defense. And for me, I thought Iowa State, just as a whole offensively, Nate Shieldhouse, their offensive coordinator, thought he did a great job of mixing some things up. Uh, Rocco Beck played a clean game. The rushing attack, as I mentioned earlier, was going strong. They ran for 234 yards on the evening. And Abu Sama is a guy who really, to me, flashed in this game because he was juking people out of their shoes left and right. Uh, he went for over 100 yards on the day. So Iowa State's run game combined with Rocco Beck to, uh, gaining confidence. And Iowa State has some weapons to man because I'll tell you what, uh, Jalen Noel, another guy that really pops off the screen, too. he had two touchdowns on the day. So they're still finding their rhythm. I know they had a mishap against Kansas State, uh, excuse me, Kansas last week, but I feel like this team is kind of back on track, and this was a really good confidence booster for them. And, you know, credit to their defense. Uh, they played great, too. They held BYU to just 13 points, and they only let, let the Cougars complete one of their 11 third down attempts. So, and, and, you know, we've talked about, you mentioned the crazy Big 12 title scenario, but Iowa State still one of those teams that's in the mix for a Big 12 title, so don't count them out just yet. As for BYU, man, we, we, we've mentioned before, Joe, about this team being maybe the most confusing team in the Big 12. And this, this game played right into that narrative because they looked, they looked like they'd never played a football game in their life. I don't, know, I don't know how any other way to describe it because whether it was offense, defense, special teams, they were outmanned, they were outmatched. Um, their backup quarterback, Jake Griffoff, Look, I, I don't, I don't know if you can compare him to Keaton Slovis. There, I still think probably Slovis is better. Obviously, his uh, injury status is up in the air still, but I, I don't know if they don't have anybody else better behind them or or what the deal is because it it took like a trick play, you know, outside of that first drive where they had the football for more than one play, it took a trick play for them to score because other than that, they had a hard time just getting across midfield for throughout the game. So. I don't know about what it is about this BYU team this year. And with this loss, you know, they got to play Oklahoma and Oklahoma State left uh, still on the schedule. They have five wins. There's no chance they're getting six wins after if they keep keep playing like this. In fact, I wouldn't I wouldn't be shocked if Oklahoma blew them out by like 40 points uh, this next weekend if they play like this because BYU, whatever they're doing, it's not working, man, because – that, that was a tough one to watch. And you can see it's not very often you see the Provo crowd just like hit the exits early in the third quarter, but that's exactly what happened on Saturday night here. Yeah. I mean, I'll start with BYU here because Iowa State, I have a different take set up here. BYU, man, your quarterback's your best rusher in this game, and that's not great. He wasn't a great at the quarterback position or as a running back in this, in this situation outside of the pocket. You know, we've talked about them not being able to run the football. They couldn't pass the football. They couldn't play defense they had no special teams BYU was severely outmatched and the immediate takeaway you already said it I mean it's this team is not a bowl team they will not get to a bowl team I'll put that extra fire out there if you're a BYU fan listening you can you know quote me on this if for some reason you pull one off over Oklahoma State or Oklahoma but man it just doesn't make any sense BYU does not make any sense the way they play football so great one week and the next week they're you know a whole different team Obviously, you can chalk that up a little bit to the change at quarterback based off of Keaton Slovis's injury. But, man, even with Slovis on the field, I don't think they win this game. I mean, Iowa State absolutely beat the brakes off them, and anything else they beat off them. It was just a quick one for Iowa State to get, you know, a quick painless win. 
where you could have thrown the talent at halftime and nobody would have missed anything. I mean, you would have missed a couple of electric plays for Iowa State, but this is one of those games where you need more production out of your skilled playmakers. You know, Isaac Rex, I didn't do a ton in this game. Chase Roberts had two catches. Nobody really had anything big. So when you look at the stat sheet, there's not much there for BYU. For Iowa State, I've got a quick takeaway, and then I've got a quick story that I will tell them this time for my Iowa State takeaway. Uh, immediate reaction, Abu Sama, and I keep coming back to this, there's a Deuce Vaughn comparison brewing in my mind slowly but surely. You mentioned some of the jump cuts. This dude is electric in the open field. And now I'm not a defender. I'm not, I don't play football. I don't want to tackle this dude under any circumstances, and I certainly don't want to be one-on-one with him in the open space. This dude has some of that shiftiness in him, and I don't want to put that blanket on him to say, like, oh, Deuce Vaughn. He's a Deuce Vaughn clone or something like that, or a Brees Hall clone. I'm never going to say that because he is an absolutely – he's absolutely his own player. But some of those jump cuts, some of the quick moves, like it gave me some Deuce Vaughn vibes. And I, I know for Big 12 fans, that's a cool thing to see, especially in a run young you know a young team where they lose their starting running back at the beginning of the season. A guy like this steps up. I mean, Abu Sama deserves some love. And we've been quietly showing it on the podcast, but this week he deserved it, absolutely. Averaging 13.8 yards per carry, that dude deserves it. Rocco Beck deficient, but the main thing I want to say, tell you real quick – I'm going to use a speedy story as my takeaway for Iowa State. I don't know if you saw on Twitter. Shout out to Cyclone Larry because those dudes raised upwards of $5,500 for the Iowa State NIL Collective, the We Will Collective. All to see the executive director, uh, I think it's Brett Bloom is his name. I don't know if it's pronounced Bloom or Blum, so I apologize. Shotgun a beer, an ice-cold Ames lager. They raised $5,500 for the NIL Collective through $10 donations throughout the game. That's incredible. Hats off to Iowa State. I mean... I know that the joke is kind of that Iowa State fans will find a bar anywhere. They'll go drink, do whatever they want to. They showed how much they support their team in $10 donations, raising $5,500 before kickoff or before the end of the game. I mean, from kickoff to the end of the game, they raised almost six grand. That's crazy to see. So that's kind of my, my impressive moment for Iowa State outside of the football team. Moving on, we've got one last game to talk about. A team getting into the win column this season, Cincinnati, finally winning over Houston. Derek, what do you think about this? Cincinnati won a freaking Big 12 game. Oh, my God. They were the last team we've been waiting on all year long uh, with the zero of the win column. They finally got that one. And, well, it was well-deserved, man. They played probably their best game all season long. They only had one turnover. They controlled the game throughout. They rushed for over 200 yards. Corey Kiner was excellent, of course. I thought Emory Jones actually played a pretty clean game as well. So, for me, that was really good to see because, you know, Cincinnati, for the most part, a lot of their problems is – kind of been just getting in their own way between turnovers, penalties, whatever it may be, but really good to see them play a clean game. And they were, man, they were awesome on third down. I'll tell you what, converting seven of their 13 third down attempts, uh, that was pretty good to see. And defensively, you know, their defense has definitely had some struggles this season, but I thought they did an excellent job uh, shutting down a good Houston, you know, I wouldn't say a good Houston offense, but a decent Houston offense Mm -hmm. with Donovan Smith on the other side. Uh, so kudos to Scott Satterfield uh, getting that first Big 12 win. Although the uh, Bearcats won't be going bowling this season, I thought this was a huge uh, step for the, uh, for that program in the right direction. As for Houston, man, kind of like BYU, you just never know what you're going to get each week. And unfortunately, you got the bad Houston because th- there's no excuse for them losing to Cincinnati at home. I I, I don't know how – that's acceptable. You go out and you beat Baylor on the road, and then you lose to Cincinnati by double digits at home. That's kind of head-scratching to me. They turned the ball over three times. They couldn't get anything going offensively. 
And their defense, uh, as I mentioned, they had trouble stopping Cincinnati's rushing attack. So everything that kind of could went wrong in this game for Houston did. And another thing I'll say, there's two more things I'll, I'll mention here, and then I'll let you take over, Joe. But the stands in Houston, man, you see the pictures like week in and week out of their home crowds, and it is it's truly pathetic. There's high school stadiums in, in the city of Houston that have bigger crowds than, than what I've been seeing over there uh, at Houston's campus because that's – Man, that's embarrassing, and I, th- I don't know if it was homecoming this past week or whatever it was, but the stands were, like, completely empty. I, there couldn't have been more than, like, 10,000 people there, I felt like. But between that and, and Dana Holgerson's nonchalant, I-don't-care attitude in the postgame, the, the whole the, this whole situation in Houston, I, I think there maybe need to, much like what needs to happen to Waco, there maybe need to have a serious conversation about the future of Houston football. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think I'll start with Houston here before jumping into Cincinnati. With Houston, it's just, you know, you said the Baylor, or excuse me, the uh, BYU comparison. That's spot on. I never know what I'm going to get from Houston. I mean, this is a team that's, you know, has been blown out by Kansas State by 41, but has also been within one score and within, you know, a, a handful of yards away from putting Texas into overtime. Like, this team has had some highs. They've had some lows. They beat West Virginia in that crazy fluke, uh, not, not fluke per se, but they beat West Virginia in that last second Hail Mary. Like, there's been good moments for Houston, but, man, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, the team will do something good and then something awful. It just doesn't seem to follow suit every week. And I know that you don't have the hardest matchups consistently, but Cincinnati is not a team you should lose to. And I know that that's kind of the narrative to be like, well, Houston's a better team. They are the better team. They were the better team, not in this game per se, but going into this week, they are the team that is expected to win this. They didn't look anything like that. what they had this season. They looked like... You know, they looked incapable, incapable of doing anything. And I know that Cincinnati did play really well. I think the main thing I'm going to talk about here in a second is the time of possession battle. But yeah, Houston could use some adjustment, <clears throat> whether that be the head coach, whether that be, you know, figuring out what's next for this team. It's just the energy isn't there. The environment isn't there. You talked about that. That's for sure. It just doesn't really add up right now. And something needs to add up at some point for Houston this season. Talking about Cincinnati, thank the Lord above you guys won a game, man. I'm not... I don't have any other takeouts of that. I'm so happy that Cincinnati got into the win column. They won the time of possession battle 36 to 23 minutes. That's always a great recipe. They won the turnover battle. When you do those things right, you'll win football games. Not every time, but boy, you'll win a lot more football games than you have so far. 7 to 13 on third down will also help that. What a day for Cincinnati. I don't care what the score was. I don't care what happened. I am so grateful that they got into the win column and they're not going to finish this season you know, certified as the worst team. I know that there's, they're going to be probably at the bottom or close to it. Thank goodness that they got into the win column. That makes me extremely happy to see overall. And shout out to the West Virginia dudes as well, or excuse me, the, uh, the Cincinnati dudes as well that have been, you know, having to grind out, cover Cincinnati the last couple of weeks and try to find some positives. They deserve a positive. Everybody here deserves a positive. So I'm happy for Cincinnati fans everywhere. But let's move on to some overall thoughts for the weekend. Derek, what do you think about the entire week as a whole? A lot of sloppy performances, Joe. I mean, between the Oklahoma State game, uh, the Baylor-Kansas State game, BYU-Iowa State, uh, Cincinnati-West Virginia, or excuse me, Cincinnati-Houston, uh, and then you had Oklahoma putting a beat down on West Virginia. A lot of blowouts this week, and this is not something we've seen normally over the past few weeks because we've seen a lot of close games and those underdogs really stepping up. But lately, man, it is just this was a dominant weekend for the favorites in this conference because 
it's like again, it's not something we've normally seen. So it was kind of kind of caught me off guard when we have teams winning by thirty to forty points. Uh, so it, it's definitely a pretty unique uh, unique weekend compared to what we've seen so far this season. But man, tell you what, the chaos continues in this conference. Now we have uh, excuse me, three, one, two, three. We have four now teams uh, in this conference with a five and two record. You mentioned kind of earlier the 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 tiebreakers and everything like that. It's going to be really confusing. So. Man, I don't know. Outside of Texas, this this conference is still pretty wide open for that second spot. I agree. I mean, I'll say the main thing, like, you don't always learn a lot in blowouts, but the way we learned about the teams that blew out the other teams, we did learn a lot this week. I mean, seeing UCF beat Oklahoma State is crazy to see, especially by, you know, 42 points. The blowouts are never always, you know, they're not always great to give you something to talk about. But, man, we saw some football this weekend that I didn't expect to see, to be point, you know, completely, completely honest with you, but I'm happy with it. I mean, I'm happy with the week, and you said it. Like, I'm gonna my, my plan for the future of the Big 12 is I will not be able to accurately figure out how the tiebreaker situations work until it's the last week of the season, and someone tells me, all right, you know, if Kansas State wins and this team loses, they're in. If Oklahoma wins and Texas loses, they're in. If Iowa State beats Texas, I just need to know point blank what needs to happen for each team, because at this point, I mean. You know, we might get a we might get a Texas Tech West Virginia Big Twelve championship if seventeen different things have to happen. I saw one Twitter account that was posting there is exactly seventeen steps to Texas Tech finding their way to a Big Twelve title game. I don't know who comes up with that or how they figure it out, but that was always interesting to see. And there's no other conference in the world like this. I mean, it's exciting to watch every week. But let's move on here to talking about the next week's lines. I'll run you through some lines here before we make our picks. We've got West Virginia versus Cincinnati. West Virginia favored by four. Kansas State at Kansas, Kansas State favored by seven. Oklahoma State minus 24 at BYU, or excuse me, Oklahoma. I don't know if I said Oklahoma or Oklahoma State, but I'll run it back. Oklahoma minus 24 at BYU. Texas minus seven at Iowa State. Oklahoma State minus seven at Houston. TCU favored by two scores. TCU minus 14 versus Baylor. And Texas Tech minus three versus UCF. Derek, I'll let you go first with this first pick here. Let's talk about West Virginia minus four hosting Cincinnati. Well, Cincinnati is coming off a big win against Houston, as we mentioned, got their first Big 12 win. West Virginia, on the other hand, got completely blown out by Oklahoma. But comparing these teams, I think it's pretty close. I think I'm going to take West Virginia covering that spread there because I, I, don't, I don't really trust Cincinnati on the road. So for me, I think I'll take West Virginia in this one. I'm going to agree with you here. Um, I think the thing about Neil Brown is they've beaten the teams they're supposed to beat this season, and they haven't beaten the teams they're not supposed to beat this season to you know somewhat of an extent. I like West Virginia. The spread's not big enough that I'd stay away, so West Virginia minus four. Moving on to the next game, we've got the Sunflower Showdown. Kansas State minus seven at Kansas. So the thing about this is that nobody knows who's playing quarterback for Kansas. Odds are it will not be Jalen Daniels. More than likely, probably won't see Jason Beam, but I don't know if that's been confirmed or not yet. Um, it could be Cole Ballard. It could be, you know, whoever. I don't think that that quarterback situation is going to be enough to beat Kansas State. K-State playing some of their best football right now. I'll take the Wildcats minus seven in Lawrence. Derek, what about you? Agreed. I, I don't like the Kansas quarterback situation, especially if Cole Ballard ends up being the starter for them this weekend. Uh, I'm definitely going to take Kansas State covering that seven-point spread. I agree. Moving on to the next game here, Oklahoma State minus 24. That game's at Lavelle Edwards Stadium. Take it on BYU. Derek, what do you think about the 24-point spread? Doesn't surprise me at all, uh, considering what Iowa State was able to do in Provo on Saturday night. Um, this one's going to be a day game. BYU always weird in those day games. I know they're at home in Provo, but 
I don't know how you feel confident about what we saw uh, against Iowa State that that's going to change or any that's going to change against a team like Oklahoma. Uh, Sooners look like a really good team right now. They were firing on all cylinders against West Virginia. I think they're going to tear up that BYU defense. So I'm, I'm actually, as crazy as it sounds, I'm going to take the Sooners to cover. Yeah, this is one of those games that I just want to punt away and never touch because there's 24 points is a ton of points. You know, you saw 20-plus last week with Kansas State and Baylor, and that worked out in Kansas State's favor. I'll roll with you. I don't know how you can bet on BYU. I know they've looked better at home, but quarterback position still up in the air. They still can't run the football, and Oklahoma is a much better team, so I jump in with you on that. Next game, Texas minus 7 at Iowa State. I will say this. Texas, the, the fourth quarter, second half thing doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make a lick of sense to me. I know that's an old cliche, but I don't know, seven points – yeah, that's it's a score game. Quinn Ewers still getting back from injury. I think the Jonathan Brooks thing is going to be a big deal, especially in Ames. If this game's in Lubbock, or excuse me, Lubbock, if this game's in Austin, I feel a lot better. I will take Iowa State because I feel like there's a lot of energy at Iowa State that I can't fully explain right now. They're a good football team and they're just good enough to cover the spread and maybe punch Texas in the mouth if things don't work out. I'll go Iowa State plus seven. That game's in Ames. What about you, Derek? If Texas is going to fall, it's going to be this weekend. I, you know, I don't think they're going to lose this game, but I definitely see Iowa State covering that that seven point spread. I think this can be maybe a three point game for Texas, uh, with Iowa State playing at home in Ames. The night and it's going to be a night primetime game. Uh, I'm going to take the Cyclones to cover here. I will also say, not that there's many people like this listening out there. If you're a special teams head, great matchup. You got two solid kickers that could decide a three-point contest. Chase Contreras as well as Burt Auburn for Texas. That could be interesting to watch if it does come down to a field goal late. Oklahoma State minus seven at Houston. Derek, what do you think about this game? Whew, two teams that had a really rough week uh, weekend. Um, I am going to take Oklahoma State in a bounce back. I don't trust Houston. Uh, at all right now, much like BYU and Cincinnati. I don't have a ton of confidence in them. Oklahoma State, this has got to be their bounce back week where they get things back on track, so I'm going to take the Cowboys here. Yeah, I think Mike Gundy kind of makes the difference in my mind. Ollie Gordon, he's you know, somewhat banged up, but he won't be inactive for this game, I, I don't think. I don't think it was – you know he did come back into the contest. I think a crazy man would bet on Houston this week, and this week I am not that crazy. Sometimes I can be, depending on the night, but tonight is not that night. I'll take Oklahoma State minus seven at Houston. Next game, TCU minus 14 versus Baylor. Uh, I mean, I will say this. Neither of these teams are, would be teams that I'd like to bet on under any circumstances, but 14 points is a lot of points. I don't know that you know Baylor's going to beat TCU under any circumstances, but I will take Baylor plus 14 based on the fact that two touchdowns is a lot for these teams. Derek, do you agree? Do you disagree? What do you think? You know, Joe, let me ask you, how often does a four and six team have a two touchdown uh as <laughs> a two touchdown favorite over a team that's three and seven in the same conference? I uh, do not know if I've ever seen that to be <laughs> definitely uh definitely pretty odd. I am man, I, I I've given up all hope on Baylor at this point. I, I'm gonna take I know it's crazy, I'm gonna take TCU uh in the points here because I just do not trust Baylor at all right now. They have nothing to play for, nothing to gain. Uh, maybe they try to knock uh, TCU out of bowl contention here with the with the with the win, but uh, I'm taking TCU. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I could definitely see this game being something like that, and if that happens, that might just be enough to have that Dave Aranda conversation internally for Baylor. But I'll move on to the final game here, and I'll pitch you uh, this: you got Texas Tech minus three versus UCF. Big wins for both schools in the previous week. Derek, what do you think about that? 
Games in Lubbock, uh, probably going to stick with the Red Raiders. I think this is definitely a pick game for me. I think it can go either way. Since it's in Lubbock, I'll take Texas Tech in the points. I think also, in, you know, maybe you can you can agree with this or not, but it would be the most Texas Tech thing of all time to not use Taj Brooks correctly the entire season and then the last two to three weeks of the season, use him perfectly and be like, look what we can do, and then win you know, your last three games. That's pretty pretty Texas Tech to do, and I believe they will do that, so I will jump in with you. Texas Tech minus three in that game. But let me ask you this. Is there one game you feel great about? What would you put your Derek Duke stamp down on for this week? Like in Kansas State, again, you know, I mentioned the quarterback situation for Kansas. They don't really feel good about it, especially if the true freshman Cole Ballard goes out there for the Jayhawks. If that's the case, I might take Kansas State by at least two touchdowns, but uh, I'm pretty confident that they're going to cover that seven-point spread. Yeah, I think that's the main one to look at this week where there's some money to be made. I will take West Virginia minus four. I know Cincinnati has a great environment there at their stadium, but I think West Virginia is just a better team. Cincinnati could surprise me. They could get some momentum, so there is definitely that element. Betting on the could is probably not where I want to head down that road. But let me ask you this. Closing thoughts on the week on what's coming next. Anything you want to talk about here as we close out the episode? You know, not really. Obviously, the the title race is still full swing. I think now that, you know, earlier in the season – a couple weeks ago, I think we could have really circled the Sunflower Showdown as being maybe the marquee matchup of the weekend. Uh, but with now Kansas with quarterback injuries and and the, their loss to Texas Tech, I think that kind of that game's kind of been put in the backfold. And I think you're looking at it from more of a Kansas State perspective. Uh, for me, it's going to be all about this Texas Iowa State game. That is huge because as I mentioned earlier, if there is a time for Texas to slip up this season, I think this would be the game. Uh, where it could happen. So all eyes should be on that game this weekend. And uh, also got still got a couple teams that are still fighting to, uh, to get to bowl uh, six wins to become bowl eligible. So still a lot to play for yet in the season, even if you're not in the title hunt. But that Iowa State-Texas game is going to be must-watch TV. I definitely agree with you there. I would say on the topic, we kind of touched about the tiebreaker stuff. I think my best piece of advice is for everybody just to buckle up because there's going to be some team – or some somebody that just does not get the benefit of the doubt or whatever happens, there's going to be some way where we have, you know, it'd be the most big 12 thing ever to have a five-way tie for first place heading into the last, you know, the last week of the season. If Iowa State can pull off that win against Texas, I would just say this, get your popcorn ready, buckle up, do whatever you have to do. It's going to be an exciting week of big 12 football. As we head towards Arlington, we will see who are the two teams featured and who misses the cut. It will be an awesome thing to watch, but guys, let me say this. Thank you all so much for listening to the heartland after dark podcast. We appreciate you each and every week. My name is Joe Tillery. Once again, that's Derek Duke. We'll be back next week. We'll hopefully have a little bit more in terms of the playoff window to talk about what we appreciate you guys each and every week tuning in. We hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and we will talk to you about some big 12 football here soon.